Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening, where I do have Father Mike Ritter in studio with me. And so, yes, I'll say that again. I do have Father Mike Ritter (laughs) in studio with me. So, Father Mike, we do have a lot to talk about this evening. So, I did think it would be good to just jump right in. So, great to have you with me another evening. It's good to be with you. I know it's been a little while. It's, It's been since last year. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Happy New Year, too. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's just one of those things where we get busy, and not only that, it it was Christmas and it was New Year's, and so we're trying to juggle two uh, busy schedules. But what we did do was we sat down Mm -hmm. and we mapped out a game plan. Absolutely. uh, Because one of the things that uh, came to me from our listening audience is that they would like to know uh, the movies in advance. So that's what we're about. We're going to. Uh, stay three weeks ahead and make sure that our listening audience will have watched the movie. Well, at least you know what movie's coming to watch the movie. That's up to you whether or not you watch the movie. Right, right. <laughs> so for this evening, we're going to talk about Aquaman. Next week, we decided Mary Poppins, correct? I, I think it was uh, Bird Box. Yes, Bird Box and Mary Poppins the following weekend. So right. we have Aquaman this evening, Bird Box next week, which I think is a Netflix, Netflix original. original yeah. yeah. And then the week after that, uh, Mary Poppins. And so some of this is Father Mike and I sitting down, looking at what movies are hot, and also listening to you, right? right. Taking into consideration uh, what you want us to talk about. So this evening is Aquaman, uh, another rich uh, superhero film, something to behold really on so many levels. As far as the storyline goes, Father Mike, Aquaman, a seagoing metahuman whose royal bloodlines make him the rightful ruler of the undersea kingdom of Atlantis. Uh, Now, following the story a little bit, initially, he really comes off as disinterested in the politics of his ancestral home, Mm. Atlantis, huh? But he hears the call for help from one Mara, who herself is a princess from a different Atlantean bloodline, and his old teacher Volko, who was played by William Defoe. And I thought, actually, uh, (laughs) you and I were both talking Overall, we weren't impressed with the acting. He was good, though. But yeah, <laughs> William Defoe, uh, he has played all sorts of different kind of characters. Yeah. I'm sure most of us think of Spider-Man uh, when we hear the name William Defoe. Um, he plays the good guy in this one, and he does a good job. So anyhow, uh, Mara and Volko, together they implore Arthur's help to stop his half-brother Orm from seizing the throne and declaring war on the surface. That is a soundbite of a storyline that is rich with imagery, Father Mike. Uh, You and I were talking beforehand. It's a fascinating thing to watch a movie like this, uh, and and all movies tied to both DC and Marvel, and uh, reflect upon how mythological they've become. You know, some of these stories were myth in their origin, but it seems like all of them have been caught up in this genre of myth. We've touched upon this before, but I yeah. know this is something that struck you. Well, it is striking, firstly, because we're just 
cranking out these superhero movies. I mean, just left and right right now. And so they're very popular. They're resonating with the culture. At a dizzying pace, really. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And especially because we're in that genre in the theater. I mean, all of the trailers is just, boom, one super who, uh, movie hero, uh, superhero movie yeah, after yeah. the next. Uh, so, so that's striking. And, uh, of course, they're enjoyable. And uh, so... And certainly, too, this is an ancient genre, uh, so it's definitely this kind of mode of storytelling is, is resonant with people. It's definitely an enjoyable movie. It's, uh, I mean, just visually, it's very interesting. You have this underwater world. There's a lot of CGI. There's all kinds of monsters and battles, and, and so it, it's certainly engaging, and it's uh, certainly a lot of fun. Uh, but but I think there's there's a lot of uh, richness in the, uh, the allegory that's present and just that kind of mythological approach mm. to, to mm. deep meaning. You, and maybe we'll get into this, but I understand that the filmmaker was also very interested in the kind of allegorical aspect of the film. You have, uh, you have kind of an original fall of Atlantis, and we're told that that was because of their striving for power and a power that they didn't know quite how to, how to wield. Mm-hmm. And that led to the destruction and the sinking of this ancient city. So you have kind of like a, a fall yeah, in yeah, the history yeah. there. Uh-huh. And you have a king who explicitly under, understands himself as the savior. Um, that he's come to save his people, and he's uh, he's both Atlantean and a surface dweller. So you have kind of that hypostatic union, mm-hmm. you know, God and man, savior, peace, which is made explicit, uh, you know, through through symbolic images later in the movie. Uh, so so there's certainly just um, an awful lot that's there in terms of mythological or allegorical kind of content. So that makes it kind of interesting. Yeah, it really does when you look at it closely. As you begin to speak to the allegory, Father Mike, uh, Arthur is royalty, mm-hmm. right? He's royalty because we have to take a step back. Uh, how did his parents meet? But his father was on uh, the dock. He looks over and he sees this woman uh, clothed in unique attire <laughs> yeah, yeah. there on the rock. And he runs down to her. And for the first 10 minutes or so, um, you see this romance building really overnight. They're drawn to each other, but she's from another world. Mm-hmm. And his father is from, well, Earth, if you will. And these two worlds come together, and as they come together, they give birth to Aquaman, this metahuman, yeah. um, who's now a bridge between two worlds. And as a bridge, he becomes the savior for uh, the world. And in this sense, the allegory begins uh, to play out. And, and it plays out in dramatic fashion, right? James Wan, you mentioned the director, he was very intentional to draw out the beauty of the invisible world. Yeah. And uh, I say intentional because James Wan, uh, for a little background here, he is the director of the Conjuring films, Father Mike. Now, oh, I don't I know, know if know our listening audience is familiar. Yeah, we didn't get a chance to talk about this. And you're not going to find me watching those things. <laughs> well, what's fascinating about the two Conjuring films is James Wan met with Catholic priests, because for those of you who are not familiar with the Conjuring films, these are films that deal with exorcism, and he wanted to get closer to the real thing. So in particular, in the second Conjuring film, which I did sit down and watch because I was fascinated to find out that James Wan sat down to meet with some Catholic priests, how real it was. Now, I struggled with some aspects of what I saw, but clearly the interest is there. James Wan wants to deal with the metaphysical, if you will. He wants to deal with spiritual reality. And in this movie, you clearly see some very rich religious imagery. 
Oh, and, and, and you know, and we've said this before, we have to be careful and, and there's kind of an irritation when, when we go too far with trying to pull religious stuff out of non-religious yeah, yeah, material. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But in this movie, this is a great example of a very explicit effort to make that connection. And you see the, uh, the kind of hypostasis in this character, uh, Arthur, that he's, you know, where Jesus is God and man, this person is, you know, aqua man, uh, you know, ocean dweller and surface dweller. And uh, and you made the point that in one of the great fight scenes, he's kind of pinned up against a church and pierced through the chest, right against the church in front of an image of the Sacred Heart, yeah, and which is also it, pierced. Yeah, it's it's hard to miss that when you see him there with his arms outstretched against yes. the church. There's the so Sacred Heart. Yeah. It's very explicit in yeah. this film. So that's it's interesting to note that. Yeah, and you have to respect that. Now, James Wan would be the first to say that uh, it just wasn't about communicating the Paschal Mystery. Right. Um, in as much as there's a story to tell. And in that story, there's clearly Paschal mystery elements. And one of the things that you and I have been hammering home since day one is that, again, <laughs> we live in a Christ-haunted culture. Hollywood, uh, whether they know it or not, often touches uh, to, yeah. to, to the truth of Christ. And maybe uh, it's enough to say that it's there. Yep. You know, yep. it's there. And that's not to say that, oh, this is a deeply religious movie, but, but uh, these kind of... This story, you know, uh, these dynamics creep, creep their way in. Following this battle between uh, Aquaman and, and his adversary, where did they go? But they go uh, down into the trenches. Mm -hmm. So here he has this uh, a passion-like experience, if you will, and then he goes down into the trenches. And what are the trenches? But the deepest, most uh, dangerous region of the ocean. It's like the descent into hell. It really is. And yeah. what's fascinating about this is all of these demon-like figures begin to hop on the what but boat, mm -hmm. right? The boat mm -hmm. that's, you know, in the midst of these tempest uh, winds. And as they're hopping into the boat, uh, what does Aquaman say? They can't deal with the light. Mm. They can't deal with the light. So they grab a light and they jump down to the ocean and what I thought to be some incredible cinematography as uh, Mera and Aquaman began to dive deep into the, the trenches, all of these dragons, thousands of them are yeah. following them, but yeah. they, can't, they can't pierce the light. It visually, it's very powerful, yeah. this, this descent into the depths of <laughs> yeah. hell, really. Yep. And you know, with the allegory, and again, I don't want to make too much of it, but what's interesting is from that place, what he does is he uh, brings his mother essentially back from the realm of the dead. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I couldn't help but think of, uh, you know, that ancient story of of uh, the descent of Christ into hell to wake Eve. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know what yep. I mean? So uh, the, the allegory's there. It's there. Make, make what you want of it, but it's certainly there. Yeah, well, and I think while we don't want to make too much of it, Father Mike, within the allegory is always a deeper spiritual truth, mm -hmm. and, and there lies the great insight, and maybe better said, great importance of allegory. Because at the lowest point of the ocean, Arthur realizes that not even the true king can seize the trident, this, this golden sword, right, that of course takes on the shape or form of a cross. He can't take it unless he humbles himself. Yeah. What's the great line, Atlanta, his mother, who, yes, is like a new Eve, Mary, if you will, says, uh, do you fear this? And he says, yes. Mm -hmm. And... Maybe the listening audience was, was waiting to hear her say, well, then you're not ready. But she says the opposite, then you're ready. Yeah. And this is a big point, I think, for you and I, because when you draw out the richness of the allegory in this movie, 
the key spiritual point is what lies at the heart of the Paschal mystery. Philippians 2, verses 6 to 11, he humbled himself unto the cross. Oh, yeah, and right? this, is, this is at the heart of the movie. There's like a big dragon guarding the, what do they call that stuff? The trident. The trident, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of mocking him. He says, do you know how many kings have come in here and tried to this and that? And who do you think you are? And of all the men, and he says, I am no one. And that, it's just so powerful. And I am no one, and he's hunched over. Yeah. You know, he's bent over. There's a Hebrew word uh, found in the Old Testament, anawim. It literally translates as to be humbled or bent over. There he was. He was bent over. <laughs> that conversation's fascinating. Oh, uh, yeah. Because the, the dragon says, no one king has understood me. Yep. No one king could talk to me, could communicate to me. Oh, yeah. And he says, I haven't come to be a king. I've come to save my people. Mm. Uh, very powerful. Hard to miss, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. it's really hard to miss. But to the humility, to the fear, we're not talking about this fear where we draw back and don't do what we ought to do or become who we ought to become. No, this is a fear that possesses a deep reverence for an office. Mm. You know, his fear was one that saw uh, the gravitas of who he was to become, this great king. And... Uh, Important because a lot of us want to assume an office to assert power, and to the one who is humble, to the one who has a fear of God, dare I say, they see accountability as a responsibility. Well, you know, it's interesting, now, now humility and office and power, the movie goes to great lengths, and perhaps, you know, the, the core of the movie is all of these special effects and the visual uh, element of it, and once he's taken the trident, I mean, the... I mean, the great thrust of the movie is just the all-powerfulness of this guy now yield, uh, wielding this trident, and he commands the ocean and all the creatures, and he's riding on top of this huge monstrous deal that comes out from the depths of the ocean. And so I think emotionally, you hear it in the soundtrack, we're, we're, uh, we're meant to kind of be in awe of, of Aquaman's power to just kind of obliterate his enemies. Mm-hmm. And, and to kind of bring to freedom and to peace these two worlds. And so there, there really is, um, it does, I think, attempt to draw on that kind of deep human sense of awe yeah. in the face of just the, the near omnipotence of this king. And uh, so I, I do think that that touches uh, very deeply, again, into the religious consciousness uh, of people that uh, were kind of in awe of his power. Uh, yeah. Think of all the great hymns of praise uh, to God. And everything is, you You are the all-powerful one, and and that's just such a dramatic feature in the film. Yeah, and, and we also read in sacred scripture how the king will be adorned in royal garments, mm. uh, and here he is <laughs> coming out from the depths mm-hmm. of the trenches, adorned in these new emblazoned gold garments, right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so there's there's clearly... Uh, something going on there. Well, think of all of the uh, all the great artwork of the resurrected Jesus holding his resurrection banner on a staff, and when yeah, this guy shows yeah. up with the trident, yeah, it's yeah. just that it's that same glorious. uh Oh, you know, he's here and he's gonna he's he's going to come with power to liberate us. Yeah, and as we encounter this cinematography, we we are better served to look at this as not just a connecting of the dots, if you will, but what it points to. Right? And what it points to just isn't, you know, what we're talking about here right now, you know, Christ and his hypostatic union. You've used that word twice. I think our listening audience is like, hypo what, what, what? <laughs> <laughs> the unity of, of Christ's humanity and divinity, right? That's yeah. the hypostatic union. Um, 
while we talk about this, it's, it's ultimately uh, what he did, you know, in his humility, in that reverential fear. Uh, that's the, I think, the essence of what can be drawn from a movie like this. Well, you know, and what's interesting, and I don't want to beat the allegory piece to death because, you know, I don't like that part about movies, but in this movie, it's so explicit and it's intentional, so we have to go there. But Arthur is in a unique position to be the king and the savior because he's both uh, a surface dweller and um, an Atlantean, is that yep, what they're mm-hmm. called? Yep, yep. You know, and that, that kind of takes me back to Anselm, you know, that, that the, the Savior has to be both God and man. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, uh, he's the perfect one to do it, although they, they call him a half-breed and they mock him, but because of his understanding of both worlds. And, and as you said it, because he, he therefore can be the bridge. Yeah, that's right. And something we should appreciate, Father Mike, and I know our, our church historians out there are very familiar with this, is that most heresies deal with, in some shape or form, a misinterpretation or a misguided understanding of Christ's humanity and divinity, right? Go back into the history of our faith, and if it's not a de-emphasis on his humanity, it's a de-emphasis on his divinity. And so for those who might be struggling to understand the unity of both the human and divine, certainly we can look to a movie like this, at the very least on the surface, and begin to grapple with it. Mm. And therein lies, I think, where the allegory can better serve us. I think today, 2019, we're so detached from some of those ancient heresies, specifically the heresies that struggle to understand Christ's humanity and divinity. Uh, but certainly uh, for those who are, there's something there to reflect upon, and it really is coming to understand that he is he's fully human, but he's fully Atlantean, mm-hmm. right? And you can't take that part away from him. Right. And it's not until those fully mature too that he becomes the king that he's called to be. Aquaman is roughly, what, 33, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. something's going on there. And and what else here is we don't see a lot of his growing up, if you will, mm-hmm. but we just see it's time for him to, to bring the two worlds together, right? Christ, we didn't see much of his earthly life. Yeah. It's always a fascinating thing for me, Father Mike, to think that over 90% of his life, we don't even know about. Yeah. Right, but yet it was so important to who he was, mm-hmm. and to appreciate that is to then also appreciate both his humanity and his divinity. Absolutely, there's a lot going on too. Maybe on a more surface level, to forgive the pun a little bit, but you you definitely have uh, there's this idea a little bit in the film that earth dwellers are inferior and they're kind of a pollutants, you know, like part of the, the big revolt or the beginning of this war is, you know, they've been dumping all of their garbage into the ocean, and now it's time for them to be punished. And There was a political message in this movie, too, by the way. Absolutely. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's certainly was. there, you yeah. know. And, and again, it's the same thing that, you know, certainly from the Christian perspective, that the human being is kind of the crown of creation, but in this uh, cosmology or ecology or whatever you want to call it, yeah. uh, that human beings are really kind of... Uh, the infection, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. this has to be remedied. So, so the underwater people are going to kind of rise up and teach them a lesson or, or something. Yeah. So that's certainly there. I, I think another a redeeming impulse in the movie that might be on a more of a, a surface level. Uh, the the movie opens with a line. Now I don't remember who the author is who's being quoted, but it says two ships on the sea without a sail and without a tide will still kind of find their way to one another. This this impulse toward communion, mm-hmm. and the movie ends with. 
kind of a reflection on the love between, you know, this ocean queen and this uh, lighthouse manager. And it says, you know, that this kind of uncommon love between these two different uh, people is a love that saved the world. Mm-hmm. So there is, a, and, and as, um, as this kind of war is trying to be remedied, there is this deep sense that we have to work together, we have to come together, that uh, love and understanding and mutual respect between different worlds uh, or maybe worldviews saves the world. Yeah, yeah. So I think that there's, there's, it's a very redeeming impulse in the movie, and it certainly runs throughout. Sure. I also interpreted that, Father Mike, uh, as you put it in the context of a redeeming impulse as the redemptive image of husband and wife, hmm. uh, in that here uh, you have, well, a, a complementarity going on. And we were talking beforehand, I was taken by the fact that here you have Aquaman's father on the edge of the land, mm-hmm. looking over and discovering his future bride emerging from the water. In ancient philosophy, the land rock represented masculinity, mm-hmm. and you know, water, what is life-giving and fertile, represented femininity. And here they come together at the edge of both, mm-hmm. and as they do, they enter into this kind of communion as you speak to it. Uh, and one that was bound by life itself. Uh, another line was, life like the sea, mm. right, will bring two people together. Mm. And so these two uh, are brought together. And again, my mind in this movie was wandering into the allegory. I was, just, I was in that mode, right? And I was thinking of Mary and Joseph, of course, Mary giving birth to Jesus, these two coming together, and how that holy family redeemed the world in their yes, Mm. Uh, and redeemed the world in their yes to life, right? And so for me, I was kind of pondering and reflecting that, how the two coming together redeemed the world. Uh, Yes, in the movie, right? Because without the sun, then what did you have? In fact, another big point of reference in the movie is that Aquaman felt guilty, Mm. that he was the cause of all this consternation, Right, because he was born, his brother Orm uh, wanted to, to to kill him, destroy him. Right, right, because he was jealous of him that he had a, a half breed brother, so he needed to get rid of him. And this is why his mother had, at least they thought at the time, um, was sacrificed to the gods. Well, of course, in the end, we know that not to be the case. Uh, the woman avoided another image for us to think about. The woman avoided the demons of the trenches to only appear once again in this beautiful intercessory form at the end of the movie. So anyhow, uh, there's great significance, I think, in in Atlanta meeting uh, Aquaman's father there, and even to the place. I thought that was relevant. Yeah. So this is this movie is a lot of fun, and you know my first impression was wow, a lot of action, very visually stimulating, but kind of like your ho hum superhero movie. Uh, one of my buddies likened it to a more adult version of watching Power Rangers. <laughs> Power Rangers, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but when you when you look at uh, some of the real intention and, and kind of the richness of the allegory, again, I am not the type of person to go uh, into the movies and make everything religious. Yeah. But I I think that th- there's a very strong case to be made here that this really is a very deeply religious movie, and the uh, undertones there are actually quite rich. They are, and I wouldn't put this Father Mike in the category of Narnia. No. You know, what C.S. Lewis did there, or even Tolkien and what he did with Lord of the Rings, which we have still yet to talk about and we will sometime in the future. But um, in its own way, it did do something that I think afforded us another opportunity 
you know, Bishop Barron, who we both, you know, love, just a great teacher of the faith. He loves to talk about movies, do what we do. Um, we, we are kind of following his lead. Says, there's something about the genre of movie. It has a way of telling the narrative of salvation history that we struggle to tell. Yeah. And I think that's what we encounter a little bit in this movie. There's the story of salvation history hidden within this movie. And once your eyes are open to it, it can do something to one's spirit. Yeah. Again, it's not going to be in your face. And, and yeah. no one movie would want that. Even, even C.S. Lewis with Narnia and Tolkien with Lord of the Rings would say... We don't want you exclusively thinking about the story of salvation history. Um, but like any good allegory, which is the description of one thing under the image of another, the image is important. Absolutely. Right? And the image is just not what we see, but also the story that is heard, the plot. Yeah. Okay. And that's very important to any writer, creator, producer, director of a story. So we always have to make that point in what we're doing here on Seeds of Truth and, and this larger project of, of finding Christ in cinema, because ultimately we can look for something that's not there, and that's not what we're about. Right, and so this is a great movie. Now, next week we're looking at uh, Bird Box, which is a Netflix original hit with Sandra Bullock. And um, we had done a couple weeks ago uh, A Quiet Place, where the whole deal was you can't make any noise because these creatures will hear you and eat you. And now this is a movie where that has to do with not seeing. Yes. You know, you yes. can't see or else you get eaten. Yes. So it's kind of a kind of a parallel and interesting one. It's um I'm it's, ex- I'm excited to see it. I know you've seen it. Yeah. You had brought this to my attention. I went to do some homework on it as far as the background goes and it is hot. A lot of people are watching this, talking about it. So I'm looking forward to sitting down and, and watching it. I was it. in LA last week and there's huge billboards everywhere. It's popular. It is rated awesome. R, so a warning, but it would be worth checking out before we talk through it because I think it is content rich. Father Mike, we are out of time. If we can uh, close with a word of prayer. We thank you, Father, for being the author of all of our stories and for bringing your gift of salvation. We ask for your blessing, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, Father. God bless.